welcome. This is One Life, a podcast that brings you quality content from experts in the field of psychological counseling to educate and inspire on mental health, relationships, and a fulfilling life. This is your reminder. You only get one life. Let's make it great. Welcome back to episode three of our podcast. For this episode, I had the amazing opportunity to talk with one of our own therapists, Adele Thomas, about trauma and overcoming trauma. It's a huge topic, and I think we're able to cover all the main points, and you should find this very interesting. So I'm here today with Adele Thomas. She is a licensed clinical mental health counselor. She's here with us at Redwood Family Therapy. Welcome, Adele. Thank you. And why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, and what you do? Um, well, something about me is that I'm just a very attachment-based therapist. And so whenever I look at a problem, then I look at it through the lens of attachment. That's kind of the glasses that I wear. Mm-hmm. And what is attachment exactly? It's not something that we talk about outside of therapeutic circles in the same way. You know, when we think about attachment, we think about, you know, well, I'm going to attach this Lego to another Lego or, you know, things are going to be attached together. But when we talk about it therapeutically, what does attachment mean? Well, as humans, we are wired, our brains are wired to need other people, to seek connections with other people. We're just wired that way, whether Mm -hmm. we like it or not. And so being able to understand that primal need that we have and how that primal need uh, directs us and influences all of our choices and influences even the way that we look at our world and we look at ourselves and we make sense of what we're experiencing. That, in essence, is attachment, learning how to to understand. Um, I kind of use the analogy with my clients of that we have a notebook. We come into this world and we have this blank Mm -hmm. notebook. Like, and we don't know anything about this world and, and immediately we start kind of taking notes, right? For how to survive. Right. (laughs) As things start happening in our lives, we start filling that notebook. Right. And those early notes that we take are so important because I'm constantly referring back to my notes. Like, how do I deal with this situation? And what can I expect about this person? And what can I expect about myself? And the notebook my the notes that I take that's how I make sense of my world and my experiences gotcha and so you use the word connection um, with attachment so is that a a synonym I guess that you'd use for attachment connection um, I think connection is a part of attachment <laughs> I think that our drive to feel intimacy with other people and that I would say that's a connection Mm-hmm. I- intimacy to connection right <clears throat> excuse me as opposed to uh, a non-intimate connection like you know saying hi to a stranger on the street you know an intimate connection like we would have with a, a close friend or a, you know a close family member I- is it fair to say that love falls in that category uh, we, we don't tem- tend to use the word love as much as therapist because it's not a fancy therapy term but you know <laughs> I, I often equate love as far as the the intimate love connection um, with attachment as well yeah and I think love can have a lot of connotations for different people too but I think it falls under any of those positive feelings that I might feel towards someone else 
you know. Gotcha. Whether that's, hey, I'm really glad we're friends or, or wow, I really am in love with you, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> right. All right. So today we're going to be talking about trauma. And uh, I, I think that there's, there's definitely an attachment trauma link there, um, kind of opposites in a lot of ways. You know, trauma is, is kind of opposite of a healthy attachment experience, but well, we can get into that kind of stuff later. Um, trauma is another one of those therapy words that, you know, we, we use the word trauma, like the trauma unit at the hospital or whatever. Um, but w- what does that mean in and of itself, trauma, when, when we're talking about it in a, a therapeutic context? Well, I agree with you. I think people hear the word trauma and it's this big, scary, complicated word. People don't want to label their experience as that. Right. It wasn't really traumatic, whatever it is they, they've been through. You know, other people have had it worse. That was trauma. What I went through was just, you know, a bad day or a bad experience or whatever. Right. Right. Well, and put simply, I think it can, it can just be a really, it can just be a challenging experience or a painful experience when we're looking at something that might be traumatic. There's kind of two parts to it. Um, the first is the actual events that happened. And usually that is either a perceived or a real threat to our safety or our survival or to someone that we love. Again, that attachment piece, if I really care about somebody else, then I'm, I'm going to be affected by how that person is affected. Right? I like how you put that. that it's a perceived threat. It, it doesn't even have to be a threat. You know, whether it's a fear that someone's going to leave us or a fear that someone's going to hurt us or you know, that that in and of itself can be traumatic. It doesn't have to be an actual event. Like I, I think we think a lot of uh, like PTSD, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder where it has to be, you know, something huge that happened. And don't get me wrong, that is trauma. Um, but, you know, you don't have to have seen people get blown up or been shot at to have had trauma in your life. For sure. And I think... The, that brings us to that second point that's also very important, and it's not just the actual events that happened, but it's the interpretation of the events, the meaning that I have mm, right. on what I experienced. Right. Again, what, what did I write down in my notebook as a right. result of that experience? Mm-hmm. And that is just as important to consider because you and I could experience something we could both be in the same spot at the same time and experience something and it could be really traumatic for me and it could be kind of no big deal for you. Right. Yeah. That interpretation is huge. And again, I think we'll probably get into this later on in the podcast, but, uh, that's why it's so important not to judge other people, you know, whether something was traumatic for them or not. Cause just, just because it wasn't traumatic for us or we don't think it would have been traumatic for us doesn't mean that it wasn't for them. Right. Well, we're not all living by the same notes. Right. Right. Yeah. And I guess that experience as we're writing it down, you know, the, the notes would be different. You know, for, for me, it might be, wow, you know, when this person said this, it, it made me feel like I was going to die or like it was the worst thing in the world. And another person, it might be, you know, oh, I just think that person's a jerk and I don't take them seriously and it doesn't affect me. Right. Well, when we have an experience, and especially a traumatic experience, but any big experience, whether it's positive or negative, then we write things about ourselves. Right. So as a result of that experience, I can say something about me or my world Mm -hmm. or what I can expect from other people. Right. Like as a result of that experience, I write down in my notebook, people are not safe. Right. That's really going to affect the way that I choose to trust people or let people in in my life. If I wrote that down. And is it true that when when we're writing in our notebook um, that 
the the foundational experiences are some of the more important ones like when we're very young and as we're growing up as a child um I've heard that that's where we really get a lot of our, the the more concrete parts of our notebook, I guess, that are, you know, more etched in stone, a little bit harder to, to erase, still possible, but, you know, where, where we start to form that vision of our world, and this is how things are. It, not that it can't still take effect as an adult, but it, it can be more profound as a child. Is, is that right? Well, for sure. I'm I'm a very visual person, so I use a lot of analogies. Mm-hmm. Me too. <laughs> I kind of think of building a house and what's what are some of those first important steps to having a good solid house? Well, the foundation. Right. Right. And if I'm going to make if I'm going to remodel later, it's a lot easier for me to change some walls or change the color of my paint or even even to re-roof my house than it is to build the foundation. Right. Right. If I'm going to remodel my foundation, that's going to take a lot more work and renovation. So if I have a blank notebook, those very first things that I write in my notebook, that's my foundation. And I'm going to build on what I already know later. And that's going to interpret that's going to determine how I interpret what I find out later because that's just how our brain works. We learn things and then we build on what we've already learned. Right. I've, I've heard that, uh, if I remember correctly, that that's called like the, the template theory, that, that we kind of set this template in our minds of what life is all about and then other things kind of get fit into that template down the road. I guess that's kind of another analogy instead of notebook, a, a, a template. Right, right. Almost like a blueprint or something. Right. Well, and that's a great analogy, too. And to think about we create filters, right? Because we have so much information coming at us all the time. There's just no way our brain could process it all. Right. So I create filters. We all do, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm constantly saying, how does that relate to me? How does that relate to me? And if I don't feel like it does, then I discard that information. Right. Well, so those early life experiences, those are what create our filters, and our core beliefs, which, you know, we could get into that. That's a whole, that's a whole rabbit hole. <laughs> right. Right. And with those, those core beliefs, it's, it's amazing how unconscious they are to, we're not necessarily aware of them and, and how we're filtering. Um, and, and I think it, at least in my experience, that's a, a big part of therapy is, is uncovering those core beliefs and, and not just seeing where they've come from, but what they are, you know, that, oh, look, I, I, believe as a core belief that I'm not good enough that I or I'm I'm bad or I'm this I'm that whatever the you know the the notes have been growing up or throughout life whatever traumatic experience have experiences have happened right and so then if I can use those kind of as my glasses or my filter if I believe I'm not good enough I'm going to filter all the information that I from all the experiences that I have through that lens and I'm going to discard information that doesn't coincide with that because I'll feel like it doesn't relate to me right so just to to expound upon this a little bit um, what is the difference between just a you know a a negative life event and a, a traumatic life event well, again, I think the important thing is what we write in our notebook, mm-hmm. the way that we interpret it. Because I could go through a really difficult thing and I could say, man, that was that was really hard. That was a really hard thing that I went through. Um, and then I could go through a really difficult thing and I could write what that means about me. And as a result, like you said, it can create my core belief, right? right. This experience just proves that I'm worthless. Mm. And that becomes a core belief that I have. See, I'm worthless. And now I'm going to use that filter to filter new information and new experiences. 
and that's gonna and that's that's gonna taint kind of <laughs> the way I experience new things mm-hmm. now. So interestingly, um, in my chaotic morning today, uh, I dropped a jar on my little toe. <laughs> that was not necessarily a traumatic experience, but uh, you know that was a negative experience. Certainly, it hurt really bad. Um, but I could see how you know. Let, let's say I was six years old, and the same thing happened, and my father was there, and you know he starts yelling at me. You know what's wrong with you? You know why? Why aren't you more careful? And you know this was kind of a repeated thing that could become a a, a, a traumatic event a traumatic experience where i start to feel like you know i'm clumsy i'm i'm worthless you know and instead of feeling you know nurtured oh is your your toe okay how are you doing it was a negative experience you know what's wrong with you why don't you you know why don't you be more careful um is that kind of what you're getting at with the the difference there between you know a a traumatic experience versus a um, uh, not a traumatic event but a, a, a difficult negative event Yeah, well, and I think, like you said earlier, that's why it's important not to judge other people because we don't know what's going on in our inner world. Mm -hmm. The actual event that you experienced, you could easily overcome that. Ouch, my Mm -hmm. toe hurts for a minute. You're going to be okay. Right. But the things that you say about yourself and the way that you interpret that, Mm -hmm. this means I'm so clumsy, I'm so incompetent, whatever. Mm -hmm. Those, Those things are formative and those things are what are negatively impacting you not so much the actual event that happened right yeah so it's it's how we not just interpret but that the 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 deeper meaning that we attach to it the the permanent label you know this happened therefore i am you know and and a lot of times it sounds like that for it to be traumatic it it becomes a shame response where we we say something bad about ourselves or uh, instead of just situational oh that was a a bad experience it was that was bad because i am this way i'm I'm clumsy i'm i'm bad i'm stupid i'm i'm whatever well i think another good way to kind of determine if something is traumatic is we can kind of look at we have like these five core basic needs that we have Mm -hmm. and trauma affects at least one of these, a lot of times all five of them, <laughs> but you can see how there'll be a big shift in my ability to trust, my self-esteem, my safety, uh, my sense of control that I have over my life and my world, and um, my in, my ability to be intimate, be close, that, that connection piece, gotcha. right? So a traumatic event, it's, I kind of think again, like, my house these are the five pillars that hold up my house Mm -hmm. and so trauma can really shake my world and really damage my pillars and change the way i trust people the way i'm able to be close to people the way i feel safe all those things Uh, that's really good could you could you um, read that list one more time just to and and maybe say you know number one this number two this that's a a very important list there okay so trust is number one Two is self-esteem, the way I view myself, what I think about myself. Um, Three is safety. Four is my sense of control. I want to have control over myself, but I also want to have a sense of control of my world. Right. Right? And then five is intimacy. When I talk about intimacy, I'm talking about that closeness, that connection that I'm able to make with other people. Gotcha. And, and that's an important distinction. I, I think a lot of people, um, especially here in the, the Utah County area where we're at, tend to use the, the term intimacy for sex. 
Um, and when we, we're talking intimacy as therapists, more often than not, it's just about a, a connection. Um, and this would be an entirely other podcast, I think, but uh, you know, the, there's people can have sex without intimacy and certainly intimacy without sex. You know, they're, they're, they're different things. But when we talk about intimacy, it's more that, that connection, a, that a, emotional, a, an emotional bond, deeper. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So when we receive some sort of injury or difficulty or stress or trauma in one of those five areas that 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 creates a trauma response is that is that what you're saying yes and that's all we'll get to that later I'm sure but when it comes to treating trauma that's what we'll look at that's an important step in healing is figuring out what do I believe about those five areas now after the trauma has taken place right how 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 some what, of those beliefs have changed right and, and what your notes were in your your notebook so to speak the, the notebook right. of your brain what did I write down <laughs> <laughs> right so just real quick I, I mentioned that that term trauma response um, what what does that look like what what are some of those symptoms the common symptoms of, of trauma uh, a traumatic response or a trauma response okay well some physical responses might be things like rapid heartbeat, feeling nervous or jittery. I can't calm down. I feel, I feel jumpy. I have a heightened startle response. Um, I can have, I can feel it in my muscles. I could feel have achy sore muscles or lots of tension. I could maybe get tension headaches. I'm gonna have disruptions in my digestive system. Um, I'm gonna have big changes in my eating or my sleeping patterns. Um, sometimes people call it like brain fog where I can just feel disoriented or mm-hmm. I can feel ditzy. I'm constantly forgetting things. I have poor concentration. I have a hard time remembering or recalling information. Sounds very similar to anxiety. Right. Well, um, and ADHD, right? Right. <laughs> um, and some of the emotional changes that we'll feel are um, changes in the way that I think about myself and other people. I don't feel as safe as I used to feel. Um, difficulty making decisions, um, normal everyday stuff that I do can just seem really overwhelming and challenging. Um, some of my mental, some of the mental symptoms might be like intrusive thoughts. I can't stop thinking about what happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, I might be having disturbing dreams or I floods of emotion. Um, I can have really intense emotions and then followed by kind of numbing out feelings, mm-hmm. feeling like a lack of connection with my emotions. And then also dissociation. Uh, dissociation is another one of those big words that are hard to understand mm-hmm. and that can feel scary, but it's something that we do all the time. Yeah, everyone dissociates to some degree. Right. Hopefully no one's dissociating while they're listening to this podcast, but th- <laughs> that's the most common one that I think we have is when we're bored, daydreaming is kind of a dissociation. Right? Yeah, kind of just a way that we zone out, but yeah. it becomes problematic when I'm losing time right? When maybe I'm supposed to be getting something done. And then I look at the clock and I'm like, wow, 20 minutes went by and I've just been sitting here staring or whatever. Mm -hmm. Where did I go? Right. Right? When I'm feeling kind of outside of my body, when I'm feeling like this doesn't feel real or this doesn't feel like me, those are dissociative symptoms Mm -hmm. that can feel really disturbing for people. can feel uncomfortable. Right. So I've heard people ask me, you know, am I crazy? Am I schizophrenic or or whatever? Um, I've also heard the opposite instead of feeling outside, like deep inside their body, almost like, you know, they're, they're several feet back inside. Kind of like they're they're trapped in there and and they're they're just watching. Like they're seeing through a screen almost and it's not real. Yeah. Right. And so I think 
I think these are also good things to be aware of if, if I'm starting to work on my trauma and I start to feel these symptoms or these f symptoms really increase, this is a really great sign for me to know that I'm moving too fast. I need to slow down. Mm -hmm. I need to self-soothe. I need to maybe seek some support yes. and, and start to feel safe again before I start working on trauma again. Right. And you, you, you use the term, I think, uh, emotional flooding. Um, I, I've heard that described one time as uh, like a like a hot wind almost that just out of nowhere somebody will say something that is a you know a, a trigger to our emotional flooding where it just feels like this hot wave just kind of takes us over and we have whatever the emotion is you know fear I, I want to run I want to fight I want to you know what whatever the the response is but it's it's powerful and sometimes overwhelming um, to where we like you said maybe shut down dissociate something like that um, or some people have the opposite reaction they you know they want to fight you know they just get angry and, and mm -hmm. yell and yeah there it, it's <laughs> I, I don't want to make it sound overly complicated um, but uh, the, you know there, there's a lot of different trauma responses right well and that's a good indication that that we're having a trauma response when we have kind of an extreme response mm -hmm. maybe you do something that could maybe perturb me a little bit but instead of just being slightly irritated i become irate right that that level of emotionality doesn't really fit the situation that emotion must be coming from somewhere else right right um well and i think that leads right into kind of i think trauma is commonly misdiagnosed yes I think, agreed i think a lot of times it's seen as in part, I kind of use this analogy of a house on fire, mm -hmm. right? And there's an, a, f a fire alarm. We've all heard the fire alarm. It's so loud and it's so in your face and you can't really think of anything else when the fire alarm's going off. There's no way we could sit and have a conversation while the fire alarm's mm -hmm. going off, yeah. right? So definitely we need to deal with the fire alarm. The fire alarm is the symptoms, right? right? I might be really anxious. I might look really depressed. I might have anger problems. Um, it might be in a school setting and I'm, I look like I'm having learning problems or social problems pro or ADHD like concentration problems. It might even look like psychosis, right? And definitely that needs to be addressed. But once the fire alarm is turned off, there's still a fire. And right. sometimes people think the problem is fixed. Yay, you're because not doing no that anymore. <laughs> not having right? the same symptoms, right? Right. And so sometimes the problem is that we turn the fire alarm off and we don't address the fire which makes our our house continue to burn right right and that's a lot of times the unresolved trauma the untreated trauma and the way that we cope with trauma can come out as a lot of things too i can have a tra traumatic situation and, and the way that i cope is through an eating disorder through substance use through compulsive behaviors th maybe through antisocial behaviors maybe sexually risky or other kinds of risky behaviors and and then I'm and then I might come in for help and I'm going to get diagnosed for those things right? right you have an eating disorder well yes I'm I'm doing eating disorder behaviors right. but but that's but a the symptom. root is because of this other thing right yeah I um, can't remember the book that I was reading but uh, <clears throat> the author of the book was saying that uh, if the the diagnostic manual that we use took trauma more into account it, it would be a pamphlet instead of a very thick book um, because so many different what we would call mental health disorders are related to some sort of traumatic experience 
Um, and it, it's especially difficult because most most people outside of the you know therapeutic fields don't think of trauma in the same way that that we're talking about it. Um, you know, but but that's so many different things. And I mean, you've mentioned depression, anxiety, um, ADHD. You know, th- things that would meet the diagnostic criteria are really just symptomatic of something underlying, something you know that we've written into that notebook potentially you know decades ago. Right. Well, and I think so many of these things make us feel like broken or mm-hmm. <laughs> something is wrong with us Ooh, and this big mental disorder label that you're going to put on you that's going to make me feel <laughs> even right. that more stranger right. and abnormal but I think that um, we kind of abnormalize human experiences yes yeah ma- make it a disorder when sometimes it's a very normal response to what we've been through relationship trauma is a good example of that think it's easy to think oh I'm just going through a hard thing and not realize the impact that sometimes everyday things can have on us mm-hmm. um, some things are n- more big and noticeable like a divorce or a loss of someone that you love um, but some things are more subtle like high conflict in a family mm-hmm. um, s- a scary behavior from someone that I depend on you know um, it does it's not always really noticeable abuse right you know that that actually brings up an interesting uh memory um i I had someone that i was working with i'm gonna change this just enough so that it's not identifiable but uh um this this person as a child um got got hurt um had an accident got hurt went to their their father and asked for help but the father didn't just acted like he didn't even care you know, it's like, oh, go, just go put a Band-Aid on it. And, you know, and there was a, you know, there was a lot of bleeding and stuff like that. And the, the father wouldn't even turn around and look at the kid to, to see what was going on. And so the kid just had to kind of go take care of the wound by himself. And it wasn't so much that there was, you know, any, any abuse or the father didn't say, you know, hey, you're stupid or anything like that. It was just the fact for this person that their father didn't care enough to to pay attention to them and to help them when they were hurt sent this very deep message of I'm worthless, you know, I'm, I'm bleeding. And this was when this person was a very young child uh, and probably felt like I'm dying. I'm going to bleed to death or something, even though it, you know, certainly wasn't to that level, but uh, it, it sent this message that probably to the father, there was no clue that it was a traumatic event at all other than, you know, oh, you know, you got a cut or something and, you know, it's no big deal. But for, for most of their life, that was a foundational event for them. Um, and, and in this particular, this person had been through lots of different abuse, but the, the thing that really stuck out to them was just this one event where my dad doesn't even care enough that I'm bleeding and need help. Um, and that set this foundation or, you know, like, like you said, the, the notebook just said very clearly, I'm not worth loving. I'm not worth caring for. Um, and that stuck with them for decades. Well, right. I, our brain is very smart and efficient Yes. in that it links things together that are sometimes not necessarily associated right if a plus b plus c plus d equals e then my brain's going to simplify it and say a equals e right 
right? And in that situation, here I am hurting, here I need some help. And when I come to help, to get help, what happens? I didn't get the help that I need. So in my notebook, I, I write, you know, people aren't dependable or, or it's not worth it to get, try to get help because I'm not going to get it. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, and then again, what does that mean about me? Oh, well that must mean I'm not worth being right. cared for or whatever. Right? And it, it's been my experience and correct me if I'm wrong, but kids tend to internalize most things. Like it, it's not something wrong with my dad. Why isn't my dad doing this? You know, why isn't he helping me? It's what's wrong with me. Um, I, I think I see this a lot in, in divorce. When, when there's a, a divorce in, in a family, the kids will automatically go, well, if I was a better kid, they wouldn't have gotten a divorce. Or, you know, remember that one time when they got upset and they had to ground me? That's probably why they got a divorce, because I was making life too stressful. Or, you know, kids have a tendency to automatically self-blame um, and, and make things negative ab- about them more so. Uh, adults do that too, but I, I've, I've seen more of that tendency in kids. Is that something you've seen as well? Well, I think it has to do with their age and stage of development. Mm-hmm. And it's easy for us to think that kids have adult brains, but they don't. They're, they're very right. different brains. And as a child, they don't have the capacity to look outside and see a different person's perspective. My perspective is the world. Right. Mm-hmm. When I'm two years old, I see a lollipop. You have the lollipop. I want the lollipop. I take the lollipop. Now I'm happy. The end. Right. That's right. the end of my thinking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're not empathizing or wor- you know, worrying about the other person, how they feel. Because it's... there is no one else. Right. There's only my experience. And a lollipop. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and and so, yes, everything that I experience when I'm a little child is going to be about me. How is that about me? There's a lot of magical thinking that takes place because I am the reason that everything happens and the cause of everything, right? right? Even though that's, as an adult, we can see, well, that's not really true. Again, I think it's important what you said because I'm writing my notes from that perspective. And as an adult, I can look back and not understand, well, that's stupid. Why did I write that down, right? Well, because I'm looking back with my adult brain on a childhood experience and I'm and I'm perceiving it much differently because I'm not in that child brain. Part of healing our trauma is learning how to go back to that experience and using that brain. When I was five years old, let's use our five-year-old brain to, to experience that. And what might I have written down if I was five years old and using my five-year-old brain? Mm-hmm. Right. Like if, as an adult, if you, you know, get hurt and you go and ask somebody for help and they say, yeah, go put a Band-Aid on it we're going to think, oh, that person's kind of a jerk and, you know, try and get you know help potentially more so than as a young child. I think this person was around three or four when this event happened. Right. And I could look at the different things that are going on and I might say, oh, I can see that my dad is really busy or he's really distracted. He doesn't have, he's not paying attention to what's going on. If you really knew the level of hurt I was, I'm sure he would help me or something. Right. right. And as that child, I didn't have the vocabulary to express, hey, dad, I just really need you to pay attention to me for a minute. Right. So, again, that example that I gave there of, of the, the, the child and, and getting hurt, that that's a, a, a type of um, relational trauma or relationship trauma. Um, and just to, to further clarify, what what differentiates trauma and, and relationship trauma? Well, relationship trauma is Again, just that psychological or that emotional pain that we might feel that's happening interpersonally with somebody else. 
right? Gotcha. It might, so it not, might not just be an event that happened, like a car accident or an injury, but it's an interpersonal interaction mm-hmm. that happened that caused me to write something important in my notebook. Right. So it's not relationship as in, you know, there was a relationship between when the bomb went off and how I felt. It's meaning relationship as in interpersonal relationships. Yep. Okay. Just wanted to make sure to, to clarify that. So we, we, we've talked a little bit about what trauma is and how it affects us. Uh, maybe, maybe this is a strange question, but why do we want to work on our trauma? What, what, you know, isn't it best to, to forget about it, to, you know, just to kind of stick it aside, you know, stuff it? it you know, that's a rhetorical question, really, I guess, or <clears throat> not rhetorical. Obviously, we want to work on it, but but why? First of all, because, it, you know, it's it's a scary thing, I think, to, to go back and deal with trauma. Why, why is it important to work on it? Well, I think that's a really good question. I think a lot of people think, well, I went through this scary thing, and now I'm past it. I don't want to go back there and talk about that or revisit that, because mm-hmm. I'm fine now. That's in the past. Let's right. just move forward, right? And yes, let's do move forward. But the thing that happens with trauma is that it kind of prevents us from being able to move forward. Mm. If I think of my life as a movie, like the old school movies where there's a movie reel, trauma would be like a nick in my film. Mm. And so mm-hmm. when I when the movie is playing, then it kind of gets stuck in that nick, right? Or like yeah. a scratch in my CD. Good example. And I end up being stuck on repeat. I can't, I can't move forward. And that's why I want to deal, <laughs> right? And we're, we've talked about a lot of things, and some of these are like incidental things that seem like, oh, well, that's a silly thing. Just brush that off, mm-hmm. right? That's a silly and, and thing to get stuck about. Right, well, and right? I, I've heard people say that, you know, come on, just get over it. You know, why, why are you still dwelling on that? It's, it's in the past. Just, you know, forget about it. Because, again, it really isn't about the events that happened. Mm-hmm. It's about what I wrote down in my notebook because of those events. Right, which is always in the present, right? The, the notebook isn't a, a past notebook. It's the notebook that we go by, you know, in, in the present time. I'm still referring to those notes. So if someone may hurt me in the past and I wrote down something because of that pain that I felt, then in my new relationship when I need meet a new person, I take those old notes and I say, this is what you can expect mm-hmm. in this current relationship. Right, and we filter everything through that that notebook, I guess. Right, and I think that's part of the healing experience is learning to make sense of our story, of our life story, so that we don't have these parts that, again, I'm like really visual, so I kind of think of like a line. If I have a storyline, then they're kind of like these fuzzy parts or these confusing parts, mm-hmm. and, and I really want to be able to have my line run smoothly. <laughs> Yeah, and when, like the film example that you mentioned, or the CD example, when it's not running smoothly, it's not just that there's a bump in it, but that it can actually cause you to, to kind of stay on repeat around that particular emotion, particular sensation, particular fear, what, whatever the, the result happens to be. Well, and again, I'm going to use my attachment glasses. Mm-hmm. We're, we're interpersonally cl- connected, and yes. we affect each other, right? And so when I'm stuck in my trauma, I'm... I'm not only affected, but everyone else in my life is also affected. Mm -hmm. And there's lots and lots of studies that have been done that show how we can pass our trauma on. We pass our trauma on generationally. So that's kind of a big motivator for me to fix my own stuff because I don't want to pass it on to my kids. Right. (laughs) Right. And that's a whole other rabbit hole, but going all into attachment styles and attachment patterns, 
healthy relationship patterns, I learn those and I teach those to my children. Mm -hmm. So I can't teach my children something that I don't know. Right. So if I haven't figured out how to handle my stuff, how am I going to teach my children how to handle their stuff? Right. (laughs) Well, and I I guess you could say that you're going to teach them just to do it the same way that you do it even if it's not a good way to to handle it, if it's an unhealthy way to handle it. Well, right. And again, like you said, a lot of those notes are stored in our downstairs. They're stored in our subconscious mind. And so not all of those are conscious notes that we can challenge. And again, that's the beauty of therapy is that when we become aware of those things, then we can begin to challenge some of those things. Mm -hmm. But because so much of it is subconscious, then we're going to pass that on and it's never going to be challenged. Mm -hmm. So I might be operating off old notes from three generations ago right. <laughs> that men are evil, mm-hmm. <laughs> hate them. Right. right. Don't trust any man because of this event or these events that happened in the past. Right. Well, and then it's self-reinforcing mm-hmm. because every experience that I have that validates that, then I put a star next to it and I highlight it in my notebook and I circle it and I point arrows to it. See, and this proves that men are evil. Right. Yeah, we, we tend to, to see what we're looking for. I, um, this might sound weird, but I call that uh, the Jeep Cherokee f- um, phenomenon. Um, and that comes from a, a personal experience when I was looking um, for a Jeep Cherokee you know, years ago. Um, I found that as I was looking for you know, the, the right type of Jeep and you know, the right size tires and all that, I started to see Jeep Cherokees everywhere I went. And I'd never really noticed before because I wasn't focusing on that. But from that moment on, everywhere I drove, I saw Jeep Cherokees. And, I, you know, it wasn't that all of a sudden people started driving more Jeeps because I was thinking about it. It's I was focusing on that. And so when when we have a fear, that's one of the things that our our brain, I guess, really our midbrain is very focused on anything that can hurt us, harm us, make life uncomfortable, difficult, scary, whatever. Um, it's always on the lookout for those types of things. And so it, it, we, we start seeing Jeep Cherokees everywhere, you know, if that's what we're looking for. If, or we start seeing bad men everywhere if that's what we're looking for because we're, we're our, trying to protect that's ourselves. That's our filter, Exactly. Right? So we, we, we've talked a lot about what trauma is and, and, and how it affects us. How do we actually address it and, and treat it? Um, I, I know just to, to throw out something to start out with, I, I've heard from a lot of people when I talk to them about working on trauma, they, their, their main fear is I don't want to have to go back and rehash all of that and relive it. That, that's scary. What, you know, why would I want to, to deal with trauma? You know, what, how exactly do we go back and, and, and treat it? Um, that's a good question, and I want to address that, but just I'm going to backtrack for just a second because there was two main points I wanted oh, to make good. about why to deal. Good. Um, I think a, a big reason that it's important to deal with our trauma, too, is because when we have a traumatic experience, it kind of fragments our brain. Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of get stuck in one part of our brain, and we don't pay attention to information from other parts of our brain. Kind of, again, what you were talking about, mm-hmm. the filter, and a way that it makes us less able to function. It decreases our ability to function in daily life. Mm-hmm. It lowers our distra- our our ability to handle stress mm-hmm. and to bounce back from adversity. It lowers our ability to be able to handle emotions and regulate our emotions and our mood states. And it lowers our ability to be able to connect and empathize with others. We really want to have 
joy and experience satisfaction in our relationships and it diminishes our ability mm. to to be able to just enjoy life and feel at peace and happy right right because right. so that, that filter is always telling us be 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 wary be concerned be you know watchful and 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 that makes it hard for us to like you're saying relax and just to enjoy things well and i don't have access it's not possible for me to be numbed out mm-hmm. and to also be emotionally in tune right i can't be empathetic of you and not feel my own pain sometimes mm-hmm. that's too uncomfortable yeah so so dealing with our trauma helps to integrate our brain and i'm sure we'll get more into that but but to be able to have full access of the different parts of my brain, I can function better. I can connect better. I can be in tune with myself. And then as a result of that, I can be in tune with other people and improve my relationships. Great. So um, now how to treat it, mm-hmm. <laughs> ways to treat it. I kind of break it down in, to simplify it into kind of four main steps. Okay. Um, so number one is to alleviate the symptoms. Again, we're going to have to turn off that fire alarm mm-hmm. so we can think. Right. <laughs> about how to stop the fire, mm-hmm. right? And when people come into therapy, by the time they, they're motivated enough to come into therapy, they're pretty uncomfortable. Right, that fire alarm's been going off for a long time and it's very loud. Right, and so we want to help we, we want to help alleviate the anxiety that they're feeling, the depression that they're feeling, the self-harm they might be engaging in, or the, de- the detrimental ways that they're destroying relationships, mm-hmm. <laughs> things like that. So we're going to do that first. And then the second thing we're going to do is we're going to do skill building. Mm-hmm. We're going to help increase our skills for how to handle stress, how to manage our moods and regulate our emotions, how to self-soothe. That's a really important before we dive into your trauma. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to help you feel calm and relaxed because you're already not feeling safe and then i'm going to bring up this experience where you didn't feel safe Mm -hmm. that's going to decrease your functioning and and might make you crash right that's not what i want my goal isn't to re-traumatize people that's good (laughs) right (laughs) well and again like you said before it can be a really big deterrent and a big fear for people like why would i want to bring that up again Mm -hmm. why would i want to feel all that pain that i felt before no way i'm I'm, I'm actually functioning right now and I still want to be able to function. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> functioning is nice. Yes. <laughs> so being able, so being able to seek support and be able, being able to have those skills so that when I do feel triggered, cause I'm going to feel triggered, then I can handle those triggers and it doesn't send me into a tailspin where I can't function anymore. Gotcha. So first one being get rid of those symptoms as best you can to, to, or at least get them to, to where they're manageable. Second part being kind of the, the coping learning skills, how to deal with things as they are coming up, especially as you're going to be working on some of these issues so that they don't get overwhelmed. Right. And then and that brings us right into kind of that education piece, helping people understand how trauma affects them, why, how our brain works and how we understand things Mm -hmm. so that we can when we go to rewrite our story we can make sense of our story and then four is that reprocessing and that rewriting we're going to kind of pull out your notebook and see what's written in there and we're going to see what's working for you and what's not working for you and try to fix some of those core beliefs that can be pretty limiting i like that the the rewriting um it's not that I guess we're, we're, we're not changing the past, we're changing our interpretation of the past. Right, and I think even just having a person that you can feel safe with 
mm-hmm. as you go through this experience can be healing in itself. So that therapeutic relationship in itself can be really healing. Sometimes for the first time, yes. someone's feeling seen, understood. I don't, I don't remember the four things they say. Seen, safe, secure, and soothed. The four so, S's. Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've, I've experienced that as well, that I've, I've had several clients that I've worked with say, you know, I think this is the first safe relationship I've ever had, you know, where I, I actually can can talk to somebody about these things and, and not feel judged or, or, or feel safe or, or even be able to 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 talk about them, to, to cope with them at all, because I, I've never had a, a safe relationship. Well, and and that in itself, that experience might be enough for me to start challenging some of those rigid beliefs that I have that mm-hmm. all people are untrustworthy or yes. whatever. Right. Absolutely. And then I can start challenging. Well, maybe, maybe I can risk a little bit or I can take chances in some of these other relationships that I've been wanting to and, and haven't felt safe enough doing that. Mm-hmm. So I kind of think of um, some of the popular things that are get thrown getting thrown around like EMDR, brain spotting, hypnotherapy, interventions. All these things are are ways that we're integrating the different parts of our brain. We're getting mm-hmm. those different parts of our brain to talk to each other again. Right. No matter what type of trauma therapy, like, you know, you, you mentioned EMDR. Um, that is one of the, the, the big, the big buzzwords, buzzwords right now. And it's, right. you know, it's, it's very effective. But uh, my experience has been all trauma work focuses on, a, the, there's a very similar theme of that integration, reprocessing, or, or I like to call it reprogramming because I'm a computer nerd, but, uh, or rewriting is another good way to put it. Um, it and there's just lots of different techniques. Um, but I also think, as you're pointing that out, that there's so many different ways, there's a lot of hope for overcoming these things because there, there is a, a lot of ways to help trauma that have been proven to be helpful, successful, and, and you know, for people overcoming that yeah and I think it's good to know that there's not any one set right way Mm -hmm. like the only way I can heal from my trauma is by getting EMDR or hypnotherapy or right Right. that there's there's many paths to the same destination Mm -hmm. right and that each person is different and so I might and as a therapist, I've had to learn that too, that I can't just have one tool in my toolbox, right? Because someone can come in and I can use that intervention on them and it works really great. Mm-hmm. And someone else is like, um, okay, that is weird. Right. What, that does not resonate with me. If all you have is a hammer, <laughs> that's going to work great with your nail clients. But if you have a, a, a screw client, you, you need a screwdriver and a nail is not going to do much for you. For sure. And so sometimes in therapy, it can, and that's why I think it's good to have that humor and that relationship of like, mm-hmm. wow, that really didn't work. Cool. Let's try something Let's else. Let's try something different. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and that's good because I, I, I have known, thankfully not very many, but I, I've known some therapists that all they do is one thing. And, and you know, if, so, if a client comes in then that it's not working for, they'll talk about them being, you know, resistant to treatment or things like that. And, and I, I disagree with that. I, I think, you know, we all are so varied, like you're talking about. We have so many different experiences. How we get that template, how we get, you know, write that story, how we interpret things is so different the, the way that we can heal from it is also going to be very different. Yeah, I I really enjoy some of those really experiential um, techniques. I'm not, 
I'm not an equine therapist, mm-hmm. but I think it'd be cool to be. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and Or like a recreational therapist. I think some of those hands-on things can really resonate with people and they can mm-hmm. really learn something a lot better than just sitting and talking and blah, 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 right. blah, blah. And, and just for those people listening, um, equine it refers to horses. So doing therapy with horses, not on the horse, like not not therapizing the horse. It's not really a word, but but doing therapy, you know, it's that interaction with the person correct. and the horse, right? And that that can be very relationship healing, also. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. I, I've actually done some, not as a therapist, but I, I've I've gone through some equine therapy at a, a place that I worked at before. They they had horses and did equine therapy there, and it's amazing the things you can pick up on and how you relate to people through how you relate to a horse. Yeah, especially really stubborn horse. <laughs> <laughs> you started talking about uh, at the very beginning of our podcast about how you you really look at a lot of things through that attachment lens and uh, I'm assuming then that you use that attachment focus when you do trauma work as well Um, not necessarily the only way as you just mentioned there's lots of ways to to treat trauma but what's kind of an example of that attachment based trauma work that you might do well again kind of when we're looking at our notebook right when I when we go back to revisit a traumatic event we're going to look at the other characters that were involved in that a lot of how we deal with trauma and how the difference between something becoming really traumatic Mm -hmm. and just being a hard event right Right. has to do with the support system that we have the Mm -hmm. support that we had or the support that we perceived that we had Mm mm-hmm Right. Like in the example that I gave of the of the father and the, the son that didn't get his support when he was hurt um, from his father. Right. And I think some of those early interaction, interactions can be really formative. And so taking an attachment approach, we would look at some of those early those early relationships and those early interactions and what and what did I write down in my notebook as a result of that? How did I make sense of that? What does that have mean about me? What does that mean about you? What does that mean about my world in general and mm-hmm. what I can expect in my mm-hmm. world? Because we really like our world to be predictable and make sense. Right. 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 Well, and, and in essence, that's what we're doing with writing things down in the notebook, right? That, that's how we're making sense of things. And if it's, if it's an incorrect interpretation, then that skews everything else the way we look at it. Right. And, and so that taking an attachment approach would just be looking at how my inner, how my needing other people Mm -hmm. affects how I get my needs met and how, and how I interpret my life events. One question that I, I think would, would be important to answer here. If, if people listening to this are either recognizing, hey, I, I, I do have some trauma in my past that I've struggled with, or I know someone in my life that, that is exhibiting a lot of these symptoms, that there's a good chance that it is trauma, or even, hey, they were diagnosed with ADHD or anxiety or whatever, and I'm wondering if that might be trauma. What, what can people do if, if, they're, if they're thinking, you know, that this might be the case? What would you recommend to them? Well, I, th- I think that the support that we have in our life really help us to get through hard events. It makes the difference between whether it's just a hard event and whether it's an insurmountable event. Mm-hmm. And so I think when you if you see someone else experiencing 
um, some of these symptoms, um, what are some ways that you can support them and help them? Mm -hmm. Ask ask them what they need. We're a lot smarter than we give ourselves credit for. Mm -hmm. A lot of times we know what we need Mm -hmm. and we don't have the courage to ask or we need somebody else to tell us because we value their opinion more than our own. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So when you said that, it resonates because I already knew that and I'm like, yep, that's true, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) And so sometimes being that listening ear or that supportive, just helping someone realize what you're going through is a hard thing. Mm-hmm. It makes sense that you're going to be anxious about that. It makes sense you're going to feel sad about that. It makes sense that it's going to be hard to concentrate and do a good job at work when your life's falling apart at home. That's not an unrealistic expectation. We have a lot of unrealistic expectations in our life, right. and our society can be pretty callous and not mm-hmm. caring. Oh, your wife just died? That's sad. Don't miss work, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> Hurry up, move on. It's in the past. Right. Or, you know what? My family's falling apart. My husband and I, are. we fight every single night, and it's so draining and exhausting. Mm-hmm. And then I have to wake up in the morning and put on my happy smiley face and go be PTA queen. You know, yeah. like these expectations that are totally unrealistic. Mm-hmm. I've got to be this sex goddess, perfect mom, Betty Crocker, wife you know it's it's not realistic and Mm -hmm. it makes sense that you're gonna that people are gonna feel anxious and inadequate because they're not able to fill these roles that we've created so what i'm what i'm hearing you you say here is that if we are a support person for someone like that to to give them support um and if if we're the person that is feeling like we've been traumatized to seek out that support if if there's already healthy support in their life to to talk to people about it say hey you know have you noticed this about me and you know and i've been feeling this way can 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 you help me through this um and then you know if that's not sufficient then then by all means i say that you know that that's where therapy comes in is that you can have, you know, someone, who, uh, a professional who knows what they're doing, help you through these things where you can you can have automatically a, a safe, supportive relationship to, to help you process through these things. Yeah. And I think that it's important to really challenge some of those social stigmas that we have about mental health. Mm-hmm. I think that you wouldn't think twice about going and seeing a doctor if your heart was acting funny. Right. You know, or if you're if you're in physical pain, nobody really judges you when you go and figure out what that physical pain is. Mm -hmm. Right. But when we're in emotional pain, we tend to really take that personally and and over identify with that. Mm hmm. Right. right. What does know, that say about who I am? Right. It means that I'm I'm crazy. I'm bad. I'm broken. I'm you know some other shame response. Well, even in the way that we talk about it, I am depressed. Well, no, I'm not. I'm experiencing right. depression. You're, That's you're, not who I am. You're Adele, or you're John, or you're whatever. Right. You're not depressed. I yeah. wouldn't say I am diabetes. I would say yeah. I have diabetes. Mm-hmm. Right. You see that differentiation. Absolutely. And so when you come in for some help with them, some therapy, I think that you're being proactive in I'm finding out what's going on with me so that I can be the healthiest I can be. Mm -hmm. That's not a deficit. That's not a weakness. That's right. That's actually what a really strong, resilient person would do. Yeah. Well, and, and trauma 
we can we use the same word physically you know if someone has been through physical trauma and they go to the hospital like let's say someone's in a car accident and they go to the hospital of course that that's what they're going to do they're going to go and get the physical trauma taken care of you know so that all that pain and and everything goes away they're a healthier person as a result of that visit right right <laughs> and, and there's no shame in that of course you're going to go to the hospital if you're you know got a punctured lung and your legs are broken and you're bleeding and you know that there's there's no question and that doesn't change who they are as a person you know a broken leg a punctured lung those things don't change who you are they change you know you you have an issue that's temporary that can be fixed Um, and it's the same thing with emotional trauma where you know just because we've been hurt or wounded or you know had some other issue brought up by it that doesn't make it so that we are trauma that we are ptsd that we are whatever label that we throw on there it's you know like a broken bone that can be healed Um, or you know a a wound that we can stop the bleeding and and help it you know heal right and like for anybody that has had ankle or knee or back problems right right (laughs) going through surgery can really suck but that's not very professional word right but (laughs) (laughs) i like it it's good therapy work (laughs) (laughs) But it can be really painful and really dreading. Mm -hmm. But people choose to do it because they know that after the surgery, their functioning is going to increase. Their their back problems or their knee problems or ankle problems, whatever, have been so limiting and have really limited them in what they've been able to do. That they're willing to go through this pain so that they can be healthier later. And I think the same is true emotionally. That sometimes we have to be able to endure a little bit of pain so that we can have so much higher functioning and so much more satisfaction in our relationships and in ourselves that that we haven't been able to experience because we've been limping along. Mm-hmm. Right, because we don't want to deal with the knee surgery or whatever. In my personal experience, um, you know, I, I've I've had different forms of trauma in my own life. Is that while it's it's painful to work on it, I don't think that it's any worse than not working on it. It's all, yeah, it's painful to not work on it too. Right, just just <laughs> like you know, I I have herniated a disc in my back before, and uh, I the, thought you could relate to that. Yes, one. I very much so. It, not trying to fix it and just dealing with oh man this hurts really bad that's terrible it's awful going through some physical therapy and you know exercising and stretching and everything that's painful as well but there's also the relief that comes through it and and you start feeling better and when you don't address that like if you were in a car accident and you just decided to go home you know with that punctured lung and that broken leg that it's chronic continual pain that ultimately could you know lead to you know other problems whereas going to get it fixed whether through surgery or you know getting a cast on or whatever there's pain associated with it but it is a a, a resolution so i i think that way of therapy not that you know i I definitely want to be clear that working on trauma can be very difficult in therapy but it is a different type of difficult. Um, it, it's almost like um, going to the gym and having that type of pain, but you know that it's a purposeful pain that that you're you're getting stronger. Right. Well, and I think it's important to be able to trust that process. Yes. Right. When I go into the doctor and I'm trusting that they know what's best, and that I might not agree with everything that they say or not want to do everything that they say, but that I trust that we're 
that end result is going to make it worth it. And sometimes mm-hmm. in therapy, um, we're asked to do hard things or I ask my clients to do hard things yes. and it might make them feel worse for a minute, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? But that they have to trust that process and, and realize that that end result is going to be worth going through that that little bit of discomfort or go with me to this uncomfortable place for a minute, you know? Uh, yes, yes. So I, I want to wrap things up real quick with um, what are some resources people can go to, whether books or, or websites, or what are, what are some things that if people are interested in learning more about trauma and, and how to work on their trauma, what are some resources that you know of out there? Oh, there's so many. I don't know. It's hard to hone in on just a few. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, are there any books that uh, that you've put on our, our website that you've recommended that are that are trauma books? Um, some of my favorite trauma books that I refer to frequently mm-hmm. um, are Life After Trauma. I mm-hmm. believe it's the author is Dr. Rosenblum okay. and some other people that I don't remember. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's et al., right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and the one of my, f- my all-time favorite books is the PTSD toolkit mm-hmm. and I don't remember the author of that but it's an excellent book mm-hmm. and, and I'll make sure that these are all on our um, our bookstore on our website at redwoodfamilytherapy.com too if, if anyone wants to look it up through there and also just from an attachment based therapist mm-hmm. right another attachment approached person is um, Tion Dayton and mm-hmm. she re- and she writes a lot about relationship trauma repair so anything um, by her about relationship trauma repair is is pretty good. I like. Um, are, do you know of any websites that are good to go to um, other than kind of the, the, the general standby like Psychology Today or I know that sometimes uh, like the Mayo Clinic will have some good articles on different things. Well, a great website that I've found helpful is circleofsecurity.org and that's by Cooper and Hoffman, Marvin and Powell for psychologists that have written books on parenting mm-hmm. on on how to create those safe and secure relationships and those safe environments that serve as buffers for trauma okay for if trauma has taken place or or to prevent trauma from taking place right so that's some great education that we can get learning about that sounds great yeah what, what's the name of the website again circleofsecurity.org okay well, Adele, this has been very informative. I, I appreciate uh, you, you sharing your, your wisdom with us today. And uh, I, um, I always love doing these. Now, this is our, our third episode, and I, I think I, I get so much out of these. I, I learned so much. So thank you very much for, uh, for, for sharing your expertise with us. Well, thank you. I have fun talking about my passion. Good. It's fun to learn from each other. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks a lot, and uh, until next time. This podcast is for informational purposes only. It is not intended to diagnose or treat anything. If you feel you need mental health or other medical help, please seek the services of a competent professional.